powerful words in those songs this morning. How many of you believe that uh, when the Lord says that you belong to him and he belongs to you, how many of you believe that? All right. I was going to say, let me go Baptist for a minute and see, do I hear an amen? <laughs> All right. I have a lot of uh, prayer requests this morning. So I'm going to run through them, and then I'm going to give you some time to pray for what God puts on your heart. First of all, I want to welcome those of you that are visiting with us. I see that Monty and Cindy are here to spoil the grandkids for a while, right? Amen. So if you're visiting with us this morning, it's our prayer that uh, your time here will be a blessing to you and uh, that you will leave here uh, truly blessed. All right. You know we've been praying for Kristen, who was injured in a car accident uh, after she had, uh, at the end of Camp Yeshua. She's back home in Kansas. She had, her surgery was successful, but she's continuing to have nerve pain in her leg. So we need to keep praying for Kristen and uh, that uh, the medicine that she has will take care of the pain and that she will have a full recovery. Melissa Ray's mother underwent surgery this past week for what they thought was lung cancer, and they went in and they didn't find any cancer, but, they, but uh, she is still recovering and in a lot of pain, and so we need to pray for her. Uh, and we want to say th uh, welcome Chad, who's come back from Mississippi, and uh, he's, uh, the Lord has blessed him in finding a place for him to stay while he's here temporarily, but he desperately needs to find a job. So we need to pray for Chad uh, that God will provide just the right job for him. 
Chris is in Texas. That's why he's not here this morning. He's leading worship in a conference down there. So we need to be praying for Chris that uh, his time there will be a blessing for those that are attending the conference. And we need to pray for his uh, safe return when he travels back. And we want to praise God. Uh, Kim had some problems with her eye this past week uh, due to pressure and things. And uh, this morning she told me that her eye is doing much better. So we just need to praise God that he has taken care of that and that he'll continue to uh, take care of that eye and, and not let the, the issue reoccur again. Mike Stallworth underwent surgery this past week. He had uh, uh, torn or done something to his Achilles tendon while he was at Camp Yeshua. And uh, he is recovering, but he's still in a lot of pain, so we need to remember Mike also. And we don't want to forget Monty, uh, Judah. He's uh, in Oregon, I believe, this, uh, visiting Mark Chitty and enjoying some time there and doing some speaking. So we need to pray for Monty that it will be a time of refreshing for him and that he will be able to minister to those that he, uh, that he is uh, with and those conferences that he goes to. We also want to pray for our speaker this morning, Deb. And uh, I know that uh, she always brings a powerful message from God. So we need to pray for her as she comes and brings the message. So now I'm going to turn it over to you, and I'm going to give you a few minutes to pray for those things that God puts on your heart, and then I'll close this. Father, we thank you that you answer our prayers, and we thank you that you've given us 
the opportunity and the privilege to come and bring to you those things that you have put on our heart. We commit this service to you this, this morning, Father, and ask that uh, you continue to use this time to speak to us, to encourage us, to bless us, and to bring us into a closer relationship with you. I pray that you would continue to place on our hearts those prayer requests that we mentioned this morning, that we might continue to pray this coming week for those things and for those people that you have put on our hearts. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that not only do we belong to you, but you belong to us. That you care about each of one of us, and that you love us with a love that we can't even comprehend. So again, we commit this time to you. We ask you to bless, especially Deb as she comes and brings the message, and Daniel as he brings the first five, and ask that those words might minister to us in a special way. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. If we could have all the kids come on up, let's pour out a blessing upon you. All right, what beautiful faces. Every single morning that we come here to HFF, we get to see, we get to pour out a blessing upon them. Let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, for each and every one of these beautiful faces and these children that are before us. Father, we thank you for entrusting their care to us, the parents, the elders, anyone who has an opportunity to speak life into each and every one of these beautiful little souls. Lord, Father, I pray that you would always give us the words to say and the wisdom to speak your words, your commandments, your instructions to them, Lord, so that they might be raised up to be followers of you, and may they walk uprightly before you. So, Father, we pour out a blessing upon them. We pray that you would make this, the sons to be as Ephraim and Manasseh, make them fruitful and multiply, cause them to grow in strength in you. And, Father, I pray that you make the daughters to be as Ruth and as Esther, Lord, make them righteous daughters of Zion, Lord. Father, may we, the parents, learn from each and every one of these children. So, Father, you say that may we have faith as a mustard seed. And, Father, may we learn how to truly trust in you in the way that we watch our children trust in their parents. May we cling to you, Father, in the same way that a child clings to the pant leg of their father. So, Father, we pour out a blessing upon them on this Sabbath day. We pray that you would just encourage them, strengthen them, pour out your peace upon them, lift up your countenance toward them. So we bless them on this Sabbath day. We thank you for our children. In Yeshua's name, amen. All right, kids 4 through 12 are welcome to go to their class now. And the rest of us kids have to stay in here. Shabbat Shalom. So this week's uh, readings, anyone know what the name of it is? Ekev, right. So Ekev, 
this, uh, this Hebrew word, uh, it's actually, it's the, the readings start off, Vahaya ekev tishma'on. Uh, this literally means on the heel of or as the result of. And it goes on to say, and it shall be because you hear. Or, and it shall be, and it shall come about because you listen. Okay, which should, um, pun fully intended, trigger something in our ears, right? To pay attention, okay? So it goes on to say, uh, it shall, these, then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep them and do them, that Adonai your Elohim will keep you with his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. So in other words, when you perform the commands, Adonai will keep his covenant with you. Okay? So we see that there's a reciprocal relationship. We saw earlier in Scripture how, you know, it's a reference here to your fathers. The covenant that I made with your fathers. Well, this is a reference to Avraham. We saw that the covenant that he made with Avraham, he made several. One of them was a unilateral, meaning... One of them keeps it. That's where Adonai put Avraham to sleep and said, I will go through those broken open pieces myself and I will keep your end and my end. And then there were bilateral covenants. If you will continue to follow me, then I will bless you. Okay, and this is a repetition of that bilateral commandment. That's where this portion of reading starts off this week. It ends, however, in chapter 10, where it says something very interesting. It says in in chapter 10, verse 16, So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. So how many of us here have actually um, taken the flesh off of our heart? Oh, wait, no, we would die, right? Okay, what does this mean to circumcise your heart? Because we understand what physical circumcision entails. This is something that's be done where something is cut off, thrown away. Okay? So, yet we hear this instruction, circumcise your heart, and is attached to stiffen your neck no longer. What is this in association with here? Well, here in Deuteronomy 10.16, Moses compares an uncircumcised heart to a stiff neck. A stiff neck is a biblical idiom that refers to pride and stubbornness. An unwillingness to bend one's will to a higher authority. A person with a stiff neck is not flexible. A person with a stiff neck won't change. He does not make his will conform to Adonai's instruction. Interesting that this comes right after he says... Follow my instructions and I will keep my covenant with you. Here's how you do it. Circumcise your heart. Don't have a stiff neck anymore. Now, we can put this into uh, terms that we can understand. When was the last time that you woke up with a stiff neck? It kind of hinders everything you do during the day, doesn't it? Okay? You can't exactly operate properly when you have a stiff neck. It affects everything. Because your head is the key to everything you perceive. And when you move your head around and you can't do that, then this limits what you're able to achieve. Same thing is here. When we have a stiff neck, 
When we don't conform our wills to His, it limits what we're able to accomplish. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it relates an uncircumcised heart to something else. It's compared to a hard, fallow soil that cannot be cultivated because it's not been plowed. It says in Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to Adonai and remove the foreskins of your heart. Clearly, again, this is not a physical command because we cannot perform surgery on our own hearts and live. But it's referencing here within the context of breaking up the fallow ground. What does that mean? Well, if you try and go out to any spot of bearer field, okay, and you just try to plant something in that, in that barren field, only you do it by just scattering seed on it. That seed has a really tough time breaking through that ground to get down into the soil where it can lay roots so that it can actually grow up. So what ends up happening is if you don't break up that ground for it and then place that seed in that soil, you won't really get a harvest. It's very difficult to produce fruit from unplowed soil. The seed won't grow if it can't penetrate into the depths of the soil. The hardness of the soil will keep it from reaching its point of growth. The same thing can be said about the word of Adonai. The word of Elohim cannot bear fruit or take root in our lives until we have broken up that soil, softened that heart, no longer have a stiff neck. It says then, a few verses later when we come back to the reading, it says, you shall fear Adonai your Elohim, you shall serve him and cling to him. You shall swear by his name. Now that word cling when it says to cling to him, this is the Hebrew word davach, which means to hold fast to something. To put it into proper perspective, we see that this, first, this word is first used in Bereshit, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and davach to be joined to, to cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So we see here that it talks about this, this clinging, this devak, is used in the context of becoming one flesh, a man and a wife. And here he says, cling to me, become one with me. Does that sound anything like what Yeshua may have prayed? Father, may they become one, just as you and I are one. So the question here is, are we circumcising our hearts? Because this is the very first step in this entire process. Are we truly submitting our will to His? Or do we pursue our own? Because it's more comfortable. We live in an age of entitlement where we are surrounded by a mentality that we're due something. That we're entitled to something. That we deserve something. Because we are. That life or society owes us something. Yet his economy often runs counter to what we consider to be sensible. If he has truly set us free from our sin, our bondage, our captivity, then we are the ones who owe him, not the other way around. 
Let us be diligent to cast off our fleshly desires and to cling to Him. To the lover of our souls, may we cling to Him and submit our wills to Him wholly and completely. Let's strive to plow up the soil of our fallow hearts that His Word might take up root within us and grow and produce fruit. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you, to honor and to glorify you. We thank you that you remind us that we should humble ourselves before you, that we should submit our wills to you. For you, O great one, you are the source of all life. You are the sustainer of all truth. And you are the one that produces the fruit within us. We ask, Father, that you would help us to heed the words of your scriptures. To heed your instructions that you might keep your covenant with us. That we might walk with you. And that we might hear from you. Well done, good and faithful servant. We submit our lives to you, Father. And we pray all these things in your blessed name and in the name of your son, Yeshua. Amen. And now it is our privilege to bring up one of our newest members here at HFF, Dr. Deb Wiley. Thank you. It's always a privilege and a pleasure to be here. And now I live here. I know you're wondering what this is all about. I'll show you later. Okay. Um, I am super excited. Uh, Daniel, that first five leads in perfectly to the message that the Lord put on my heart for today. And also the song, uh, Let It Rain. God opened the floodgates of heaven. Do you know when God opened the floodgates of heaven? 2,000 years ago. And... Um, 2,000 years ago, the floodgates of heaven opened up. And who presented themselves on the earth? Yeshua. And why did he do that? And that's what basically the topic of my message is going to be today. As soon as I get my PowerPoint going here. Um, I, I hope and my prayer is that we have an understanding of what radical forgiveness is. Because when you talk about circumcising your heart, like Daniel was talking about, one of the things we have to do in order to uh, have a circumcised heart, a heart that's not surrounded by flesh, is to forgive. Yeshua was the epitome of radical, unbelievable forgiveness. I mean, you cannot understand what he went through. And we're going to go into some of that so that we could be here today, so that we could live life to the fullest. But many of us don't live life to the fullest because we don't understand forgiveness. Forgiveness is what it looks like. Let me see. I'm not sure which way to go with this thing dangled thing. Am I doing it? Nope. Is this button it? Nope. 
for some reason. It's a, it was on. Oh, okay, thanks. Okay, so forgiveness is what, I, I love this, what N.T. Wright wrote. Forgiveness is what it looks like, sounds like, and feels like when heaven comes to earth. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. Forgiveness is what it looks like, sounds like, and feels like when heaven comes to earth. So when we say open the floodgates of heaven, we're talking about radical forgiveness. Forgiveness that doesn't even make sense to the natural mind. Let me go to Matthew 6:14 here. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father, did I go there? Okay. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like uh, pretty much a commandment, right? Most of us in the Messianic movement, we have this little checklist we go through. Zitziot, check. Sabbath, check. But how many of us check off this commandment, which actually is knitted to, can't be separated from, our eternal life. It's a pretty important commandment. Now I'm going to go to Matthew 18 now. And here, I went to the bottom of this parable because everybody pretty much knows the parable of the unforgiving servant that was forgiven much in Matthew 18. And in Matthew 18, at, the, at uh, verse 32, it says, he says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should not you also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all what was due him. Then in verse 35, Yeshua goes on to say, So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now that, that sounds like a pretty serious commandment to me because it involves my future. It involves eternity. It involves my eternal life. And it's probably, if you think about from the beginning to Genesis when the animals were killed and used as coverings from Adam and Eve, is what God does. He covers our sins. Not because we're worthy, not because we deserve it, but because that's who he is. And so this has been a part of the salvation and the gospel message from the very beginning is forgiveness. It's about your forgiveness, it's about my forgiveness, but it's also about how we forgive. Do we have radical forgiveness. And here's the danger. When we don't forgive radically, there are prisoners that we hold in our mind. If I don't forgive you of an offense or a sin, and there's many, trust me, if you want to put psychologists out of business, 
forgive. Forgive. I, I was a therapist for almost 30 years, and guess what? It always related to forgiveness in one way or another, all of the maladies that most people deal with, whether it's the forgiveness of a parent, the things this parent did to them or said to them, or how they were treated, or molested, or abused, or any of those things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a parent. But I'm just telling you that almost every flesh inclination that you deal with has to do with unforgiveness, a root. Because when we don't forgive, where do you think anger comes from? If you have anger issues, I guarantee you, you have forgiveness issues. Because it creates a root of bitterness. And bitterness is never pretty. It's always ugly. And we carry it through life without realizing that it's affecting every person, every relationship, everyone we come in contact with. Why do you think Yeshua gave it such high importance? Because he knew it would affect us and everyone we come in contact with. So when I don't forgive somebody, guess what? They're a prisoner in my mind. And you have to understand and realize that you can't escape it until you recognize it. If you're a prisoner in my mind, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to record the event over and over and over again. And I'm going to replay it. And the more I replay it, the more I'm in bondage to what you did to me. And so, does that benefit me at all? No. Unforgiveness will never benefit you. Do some people deserve to be forgiven? Probably not. Did we deserve it? Probably not. We have to understand the words. And so I'm, go I'm going to go into just real quickly what the words forgive and forgiveness mean in uh, the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures of the English Bible. And the translation of three Hebrew words, namely kafar, nake, and siltech. Okay. In about 80 passages of the 154 instances in the Hebrew Testament, kafar is translated to atone or to make atonement. Which I think is kind of interesting that the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat were covered, and it's called kapareth, which is the root word of that is kafar. So let's think about that for a minute, what that means. That means the Ark of the Covenant of God is covered in forgiveness. The mercy seat of the Most High is covered with forgiveness. It's key to our faith in everything that we believe. In about 80 passages of the 154 instances in the Hebrew Testament, kafar is translated to atone or to make atonement. But in nine places, in the English Bible, kafar is translated purge. 
Psalm 79.9 is an illustration of this when it says, Help us, O God, of our salvation. Purge away, kafar, our sins for your namesake. Okay, I, w- I just want to say that making atonement and purging sins, we have a sin in our heart when we walk in unforgiveness, when we haven't forgiven someone. Sometimes we find it difficult to even forgive ourselves. Amen? And sometimes we find it difficult to forgive God. Because, Lord, you put me in this situation. You knew this was going to happen. You knew this person was going to betray me. You knew this person was going to abandon me. You knew this person was going to leave me. Why did you allow this to happen to me? Anybody ever been there? (laughs) Unfortunately, most of us have. And we tend to blame God for whatever malady that we're going through. And it's not, it's not fun. We have to purge those things out of our hearts. We have to purge with force to get those things out of our hearts so that we can experience true freedom. Nagah, another word for forgiveness, and its derivatives appear in the Hebrew Bible about 650 times. When you add all these a lot, add them all up, there's a whole bunch of forgiveness going on. More than what I realized when I first started doing this study. It was like, whoa, and the more I study it, the deeper it goes, and the more forgiveness, and it's like, oh my gosh. Nagah in its derivative, about 650 times, the meaning of this verb is first the lifting up, secondly, the carrying, and thirdly, the taking away of a burden. Do you know when you carry unforgiveness in your heart, it weighs heavy on you? It's a burden. And it's a burden that you were never meant to carry. And yet sometimes we selfishly hang on to these burdens when Yeshua wants to lift the burden from you. He desires your freedom, your liberty. He desires to set the captive free. And we often don't realize we're captive to ourselves, to our emotions, to what's going on inside of here, in our head, and who we're carrying with us everywhere we go. Also, we find um, passages where forgive is the translation of Nagah, and each instance it implies that the sin is taken away as, and, and this is exemplified in Hosea 14.2. Take away, nagah, all iniquity. Nagah means forgiveness or taking away sin. So when we forgive, we absolve that person of their wrongdoing. Now, you can say, well, I don't know how to forgive like that. That's a holy thing. That's only God can forgive like that. Really? I think most parents have forgiven their children, especially if you have adult children. You forgive them much, and you totally absolve them, even if they were wrong in what they did, 
even of small children. Maybe they steal something. Maybe they do something to offend or bring shame upon your family. But we are able to absolve our children and wipe away all the guilt because of our great love for them. Are we not commanded to love one another with that kind of love? How did Yeshua forgive us and absolve us from all sin? Because of a greater love than what we can even comprehend or understand. When the idea of forgiveness is expressed by Nagah, the three basic meanings of this Hebrew word are interpreting in an expressive way one aspect of forgiveness. Nagah stands for the lifting up of the burden of sin. Yeshua is burying it, and in this way, it's purged or taken away. And the reason I went into all these Hebrew words is because I think sometimes we don't even understand all of the implications of what it means to forgive and what happens to us when we forgive. I think it's the greatest gift that we can give not only um, ourselves, but one another. If we have radical insane forgiveness for people, you know what's going to happen? Even the perpetrator is going to be, maybe they know that they don't deserve forgiveness from you. Maybe they know how wrong they did you or how deeply they hurt you. But when you forgive, you have that opportunity of delivering them from captivity. Because we keep them in bondage too, to where they can't grow spiritually, because we refuse to let go of the offense. And it is, I mean, I, it is a choice. I'm going to skip this next slide because I want to get in some really good stuff here. It's another Hebrew word that just kind of fit. But I want to talk about total forgiveness. And in Jeremiah 31, it reads, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, and I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is kind of the messianic mantra, you know, we always, this is the go-to scripture, right? No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. And their sin I will remember no more. Our entire hope in scripture is centered around forgiveness. Do we have the right to choose who we will forgive and who we won't forgive? Not if we want to mimic our Savior, our Redeemer, the Messiah. He had such radical forgiveness that we can't even fathom. And here's the thing that keeps us in bondage. 
If you notice, unforgiveness, pride, anxiety, in the center of all of them is a big I. Because it's all about me, right? I can't forgive them because I was hurt. I can't forgive because I was done wrong. Things, how dare they do that to me, 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 me. I, 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 I. That sounded kind of Spanish, didn't it? I, 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 I. Okay. <laughs> pride. I is in the center of pride. Unforgiveness is a form of pride. When you humble yourself under the hand of the Most High God, you can't leave an ounce of pride in you. Pride is a killer. Remember, according to Proverbs, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I want all the grace I can get. I need all the grace you can give me, Lord. I have to humble myself, just like we all do, to get rid of the I. If we have pride, I'm going to say the I. If we have unforgiveness, with the I in the middle, we have anxiety, which brings on depression. Because we are self-absorbed and we're in the center of everything. Instead of making him the center of everything. I have some really graphic photos I want to show you. Because it just helps drive home the point that our Savior, our Redeemer, our Messiah was radical in his forgiveness. I took these scenes from the Passion of the Christ, which in no way depicts how bloody and gory and horrible it really was in real life. We can't even imagine. He left heaven. Talk about the floodgates of heaven opening. He left heaven to come and suffer and endure this. For you, for me, for us. What right do we have to tell him, oh no, you don't know how bad it was. I can't forgive. He forgave recklessly, radically, above and beyond anything we can personally imagine. And the shame that he felt. You know, if you go back to Josephus' writing, they didn't have loincloths on like they showed in the Passion of the, of the Christ. They were naked. To bring more shame, to bring more disgrace. And he was willing. He was willing to do this for you and for me. Radical, radical forgiveness. This doesn't depict how he looked at all. The cat of nine tails ripped the flesh off his back to where his ribs were exposed, according to other writings. 
His face was beaten to a pulp where he was unrecognizable. But then, he didn't die Hollywood style for us. This, you want to talk radical forgiveness? This is the most amazing forgiveness that you can ever have. And look what happened. When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Okay, now you've got to remember, he's up on the cross dying so that we could have eternal life. So that the people that were below him, and what were they doing? They were mocking him. Oh, he saved everybody else. Let him save himself. Come off the cross. Mocked him. Made fun of him. And he was dying for them. And he said, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The kind of radical forgiveness that changes lives, that moves you forward, that keeps the enemy at bay. For radical forgiveness. Stephen, or Stephen, however you want to pronounce it, one of the first martyr that was recorded in the apostolic writings, said the same thing as they were stoning him to death. And he was innocent of any crime. He said, Father, don't hold this to their account. Radical forgiveness gives you radical love. And what are we commanded to do? But to love one another. We're, we're commanded to love him so much that we can forgive radically. What right do we have to tell God, I'll keep all of your commandments. I'll wear my zitzios. I'll keep the Sabbath. I'll go to all the festivals. But don't ask me to forgive that person. We can't do it. What happens when we don't forgive? You stunt your own growth. Forgiveness is for those who wish not only to grow in Yeshua, but to grow spiritually within ourselves. When you choose to not forgive, you are stunning your growth in every area of your life. Your relationship with Yeshua can't grow. Your relationship with Yeshua actually stops. And as a person, an individual, you can't grow spiritually. There's no fruit bearing when you live in unforgiveness. Just wiltedness and death. I'm going to go on and say that you miss opportunities that God has for you because he's got a beautiful plan and a purpose for all of our lives. We were created with purpose. We were created and are living for such a time, and I'm watching my time, as this. <laughs> you cannot fulfill the opportunities and the callings and the things that God wants you to do as long as we make the choice to hold on to unforgiveness. It's impossible for him to use us to the fullest 
and his desire was not to come just to give us life, but to give us abundant life. How many in here want abundant life? Okay, I do too. That's why we got to be radical in our forgiveness. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it hurts and crushes us and our pride to forgive and to let go. It's what he asks of us. But he asked no less of himself. If you think you feel shamed by somebody, I always think about this. I go back to his shame. See, he carried all of the shame for each one of us so that we wouldn't have to live with that shame and carry it around with us and cause a root of bitterness and anger to direct our lives. He wants us free to be who he created us to be. Another thing that happens when you don't forgive is you become self-absorbed. And you, you get this victim mentality. You know, poor me. Bad things happen to me. You cannot be a victim and be victorious at the same time. It's impossible. It's like doubt and faith can't live in the same container. We cannot carry unforgiveness around on the inside and our bodies are just containers. We need to pour out the radical forgiveness so that we can experience radical love. Unexplainable love that we can't even comprehend. I think a real reason that many people fight and argue within the body of Messiah is because we haven't learned how to forgive. We get angry if somebody doesn't believe exactly the same way I believe. So I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. There's no maturity in that. That's so childish. It's so immature. We should be better than that. And the thing that will cure that in my humble opinion, is radical forgiveness because radical forgiveness will give us radical love. When you choose to live, and I'm saying that you choose to, to unforgive, not forgive someone. You choose to live in forgiveness. If that is your choice, it's going to affect future generations. It's going to affect your children. That's what a generational curse is. You pass on your anger, your bitterness, your resentment. You know the one thing I have found? Is that young people that are leaving the faith no, never leave because God's disappointed them. But their parents, their adult examples around them, they see the hypocrisy. They see people saying in congregations, oh, I forgive him, and then go home and gossip and tear him up and slander them. And then the gospel loses its power, and they begin to doubt, is it real or is it not? Because of our behavior. 
needs to be changed. We're supposed to be the light of the world. Well, the light of the world came rushing down when heaven opens its gates 2,000 years ago. And every time we forgive, the windows of heaven open. The floodgates, I love that song. And I didn't tell her to put that in there, but it just so explains everything. It's like the floodgates of forgiveness pour into our lives. I will help you get over yourself. If we can see that Yeshua already paid the price so you can quit making everyone else in your family, in your group of friends, pay the price. Because let me tell you, people that hang on to things are miserable to be around. Do I get an amen in here? I'm just saying... You know, they always say, and this cracks me up, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Radical forgiveness heals all wounds. If time healed all wounds, you wouldn't see so many old, angry, bitter people walking around. Right? So it obviously has nothing to do with time. It has to do with what's in our hearts. It, ha it has to do, do we have that kind of radical love that he gave us and showed us? I love what it says in John 16. Do you now believe, indeed the hour is coming, yes it has come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He even tells us, yes, you're going to have problems. Yes, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world, and you can rest in that. So you can forgive radically. And you can let go of your junk and be safe. Because he wants to carry it. He wants to purge those things out of us. Unforgiveness is rebellion to God's word. We don't like to think of it like that, do we? Because we like to point the finger, well, it's their issue because they caused this. No, it's a rebellion to God's word because his word commands us to love each other as we love ourselves, and to let go. Now, in Deuteronomy, it says to forgive so that you and your children may live. Well, that's something to think about, right? So what am I doing with this rope here? No, I'm not going to probably do what you think I am. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, which I did not put up on the screen, it talks about the sin that easily entangles us. I submit to you that the sin that easily entangles us 
is the sin of unforgiveness. Because everybody that we have not forgiven is hanging on to this rope right now. And when we can't let it go, we're in bondage. We're entangled. And Paul says in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, lift, let every weight drop so that you can be free of the sin that easily entangles you. When I forgive, I'm free. I can run. I can leap. I can laugh. I can dance for joy because he's taken the burden. I don't have to carry it anymore. It's not weighing me down. Now I'm going to skip ahead just so I can get this last slide in because I hear the um, okay, if you want to get closer to God, forgive. If you want to die sooner than what he desires for you to die, and if you want to die a little bit every day, don't forgive. And I put this slide up for all my kids from Camp Yeshua to see. Unforgiveness is the true zombie apocalypse. And it's true. Because people walk around looking like they're alive, but on the inside they're dead. That's not the way of our king. He offered us radical forgiveness. Radical forgiveness. So that we can be free. So that we can run to our destiny. We can run to what he's called us to. And we can have not just life, but abundant, abundant life. More than we can hope or expect for. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be part of the zombie apocalypse. I want to be a part of the chosen. Where the Father says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I know that's the desire of every person in this place today. And God loves us so much that he brought us radical forgiveness which showed us radical love and all he asks is follow me follow me I want to close with prayer here Father I just thank you seal this message in our hearts Lord God Help us to be radical in our forgiveness of one another. Help us to let go and let you be you. Help us not to jerk you off the throne and put ourselves on it. Father, you are a king and you are everything that we have need of. 
Even when you said in the book of John that everyone would be scattered, you knew they were going to scatter and leave you, but you said, I'm not alone. Help us to remember those words, Lord God, I'm not alone. Though I feel alone, I am not alone because you are with me. You are with us, Lord, even in our radical pain and our radical forgiveness. Father, we thank you. I thank you for these words. I thank you for your word. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you, Deb. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke unto Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel." May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. to